Hey everyone, I'm Mike Stern. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope Church and I miss you. I miss you all very much, but I'm grateful that we're able to do this. I'm grateful that we have the technology. I'm grateful that we can gather online right now. Obviously it's not an ideal scenario. It's totally unique for all of us, but let's just make the most out of it. Um, interact with us online. You can chat right over here, interact with people, let them know your comments, that you are here, that you're watching. Let us know your thoughts. You can even just like throw up a meme or a gif or gif or whatever it may be. I've here, I'm gonna give you one right now. This is my coronavirus church related meme. Hopefully y'all got a chuckle out of that one. You can share some too. Also just share what we're doing here with other people. This is a time when people need hope and we wanna be a place of hope for others. So you can let them know what's happening here. In 2010, my wife and I, we went to Pakistan for two months. And this was an experience that I will never forget. It was, I had traveled to European countries before, but this is my first time in a non-Western country. And my wife and I, we wanted to be really intentional about it. We studied the Pakistani culture before we went. We studied Islam a lot, the dominant religion of the Pakistani people. And we wanted to go in with the ability to be able to engage with people um, as much as possible. We wanted to go in to the culture and become as much like it as we could. And you're gonna start seeing some pictures here of how we did that. We put on the dress, the attire of the Pakistani people. I grew a beard, which is very common for men in Pakistan. Um, we tried, we went to language school. We tried to learn the language as much as possible. We adopted, we took on the mannerisms and the behaviors of the Pakistani people. We did what we could to take on the identity of Pakistanis. At best though, it was just a feeble attempt. No one is gonna believe that I am Pakistani. The Steph on the, on the one hand, she actually looks Punjabi, which is a particular people group in Pakistan. And a lot of people thought she was Punjabi, but I wasn't gonna be fooling anybody. And certainly as soon as we said anything, as soon as we spoke, it became evident that we were not Pakistani. But we tried, we tried to become what it means to be Pakistani in whatever limited way we could. Now the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, became what it means to be truly human. But unlike my weak attempts at becoming Pakistani, God took on humanity and all that it means to be human to the point that he identifies with our need and with our fear. We're in this series right now called Last Words. They're the seven last words or phrases of Jesus as he was suffering on the cross. And we've been doing this as we go through the Lent season and prepare for Easter. And we're continuing with that today. So far, we've seen words from Jesus that are of mercy, 
words of grace, words of compassion, words of questioning. And today we're going to be looking at the most humanizing words that Jesus gave. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. So if you've got a Bible, phone, anything like that, you might be on a computer right now. You can just look it up on your computer. John, chapter 19. We'll also have it on the screen. It's just a couple of verses. We'll start here in verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. I am thirsty. It's such a basic human experience, and water is such a basic human need. Can you ever imagine God, the one who spoke life, into existence to be thirsty, being in need of an essential element in life. I thirst, I'm in need. Have you ever experienced that, just that basic need in any kind of extreme way? When we were in Pakistan, there was this time we had spent more than a week way up in the mountains with this nomadic people group and to come down into the town again was a long trek, even under the best of conditions. But when we came down, there was this terrible traffic jam. Now in our culture here, lines are pretty important. We like to be in lines and to do things in an orderly way. Well, in, in Pakistan, lines aren't really a part of their culture. So when there's a traffic jam, everybody just drives their cars around into every little bit of terrain that they can get to surround and create basically a funnel into this one point of congestion. We were stuck in that traffic for hours and hours and hours after having just spent more than a week camping high up in the mountains. We had no food in the car with us. We had no water and we were not feeling good. It was one of the most uncomfortable physical experiences I can ever remember in my life. When God took on humanity, he experienced it fully. He became needy. This is really important for us because when we think about Jesus, I think it's easy for us to maybe remove him from the human side of things. He's the son of God. He's divine. He performed miracles. He, he knew people's thoughts. So perhaps he feels somewhat other to us, which makes sense. But to be thirsty to say, I am thirsty, addresses a fundamental aspect of Jesus' humanity. He was in need. And I think I've probably heard that phrase, um, God doesn't need anything quite a bit, many times. 
but I'm not sure that it's true of God in Jesus as a human. He wasn't, he wasn't the divine just in the shell of a body. That body became a part of him. And when he died, it didn't go away. God resurrected it. He still has his body, which is the hope for all of us that our bodies will be resurrected too, just like Jesus. Hebrews 2 says, For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. God became human so that he could identify with our need and as a result have mercy on us because he himself experienced it. God, God is so good in that way. Just, just think about this for a moment and imagine God putting himself in a situation in flesh and blood where he is in need, where he can relate to our need. And you and I, we have, we have lots of needs. Like most of us need toilet paper right now, at least. That's what it seems like in this country. I'm sorry, too soon, too soon. I'm just glad I bought 10 cases when this is all getting started. I'm joking. I did not hoard any toilet paper. I promise you that. I have a family of six. We are starting to run low. <laughs> In all seriousness, I think you know, there's probably a general feeling amongst all of us that we're entering into a time where there's a greater sense of need coming in the weeks and days ahead. We'll be in a situation where needs that had always been met before are not going to be met as easily. And when our needs aren't met at the least, it causes discomfort for us. But it can easily become a situation where it creates pain and trouble and suffering for us. My guess is that there are many of you who are watching this right now who are already experiencing that. Maybe you worked in the food industry and you've been laid off now. Maybe your kids are home from school and so you need to be home with them so you can't work. Maybe you're a business owner and you've had to shut your business down for right now. Maybe you're just feeling isolated and alone, disconnected from other people. My heart goes out to all of you who are experiencing all of those things. I don't want to stir up anxiety in people by bringing this up, but we can't ignore it either. I think we're all thinking about it. It's on our minds. We're feeling it. We're, we're experiencing it. We're in a situation where we're saying, I'm thirsty. I have a basic need. I want you to know that we as a church are talking about this and meeting about this and trying to gather all the information that we can from other churches, from the city, from the county, 
You, know, you heard John mention that in the announcements. We're taking it very seriously. We want to do all that we can for the New Hope family, and we want to do all that we can for the community around us as well. So here's just a few things to mention with that. First, keep an eye out this week on our Facebook page and website for more information from the church on how we're going to respond to this collectively. We wanna focus primarily on those people who are most vulnerable, those who are unhoused or over the age of 60. And we wanna focus on those needs that deal with our, our basic bodily needs like food, having food. Second, if you're in need, if you're sick, if you've been laid off, you can't buy food for yourself, you can't pay your bills, let us know. I can't guarantee that we'll be able to help out in every situation. I, I don't know what all the circumstances are, or what resources are gonna be available to us, but we care about you and we wanna know what you're going through and we wanna be able to help you in any way that we can. And if you're in a position to help, then you let us know that too. Let us know if you wanna jump in. There's already been several of you who have reached out to us just to say, hey, I'm ready. I'm, I'm willing, I can help in any way. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. When you do that, you are reflecting who Christ is. And just like Jesus said, uh, he said, um, if you give those who give a cup of water, to those who are thirsty, think about that, uh, they will not lose their reward. Third thing, this is a time when we all need to be looking out for each other. We need to be reaching out and we need to be thinking about, like John said uh, in the announcements, how we have been uniquely gifted and positioned to help out in certain needs. This is a time where we gotta be looking around us and being good neighbors and just seeing in what ways we can fill in the gaps for people and sometimes even making sacrifices of our own in order to make that happen. I don't wanna put any pressure on you for that because I know some of you are just feeling overwhelmed by what's happening and you're in great need. And we wanna bring comfort in those situations, but others of you are looking for those opportunities and those opportunities are gonna come about for you in your own spheres of influence and then through the church as well. There's gonna be some information that'll either pop up on the screen on how you can contact us or maybe it'll appear in the chat over here. You can email us at care at newhopepdx.org if you are in need um, or you can call our pastoral care line. That's gonna pop up on the screen or just be over here in the chat. We're gonna do what we can as a church both in leadership and just as a whole community, as a whole congregation to help with those needs. And whether you're already experiencing a lot of need because of what's happening with the coronavirus, or if you're just, you've got other needs going on, regardless of all this happening in the world, there's so many other things that each one of us are experiencing individually, different aspects of pain in our life or suffering, and if that's you, I just want you to know that Jesus is with you. Just like John said last week, he will never forsake you. 
when Jesus took on flesh, he identified himself with our need. He knows and understands what you're going through. And he cares. He cares about you and he cares about what you are experiencing. And that's an important thing for us to understand right now because when times get difficult, that's when it's easy to begin doubting if God cares, if he can do anything to help us in this situation, if he wants to do anything in this situation, or if he's even present with us in it. Nicholas Wolterstorff was, uh, he's a, a theologian and a philosopher. He was a teacher, a professor at Yale University. And he had given a lot of thought to the nature of God. Uh, but then at, um, his son at 25 died suddenly. And in that time of suffering, uh, Wolterstorff had to think about how God related to all of that. And he wrote a book about it, a very personal book called Lament for a Son, which he actually published in the Lent season several years ago. And in that book, as he's, he's processing through this and he's dealing with the loss of his son, he says, instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. So often we want to know why our suffering is happening? Why are these circumstances taking place? Why is this happening to me right now? How is this going to change? How am I going to get out of this? And any of you who have walked through really difficult scenarios before, you can probably resonate with what Walter Storff said, that God doesn't really answer those questions so much. He doesn't explain our suffering, but he suffers with us. He has communion with us in that suffering. He's sharing all things with us. I have to be honest with you that God doesn't always make everything right for us in the time that we want him to, but he personally experientially in Christ understands your need and he suffers with you. I would also say that God in Christ, in Jesus, identifies with us and understands our fear. You may think um, a bit on shaky ground there theologically. Like, how could God be afraid. And, and aren't we commanded several times to not be afraid? That's true, we are. But think about why the Bible says that so many times, to have courage and to not be afraid. It's because we experience fear and we need to be encouraged in the midst of that when we are experiencing it. Fear is a natural human reaction that we have to situations when we feel threatened. And that's why I think Jesus identifies with our fear because remember, he was fully human and he was very threatened. 
I remember a time in Pakistan where we really felt threatened. We were in a small town in the north and we had befriended a pastor there. And uh, keep in mind there that Christianity is a, is a very small minority of the population in Pakistan. We had a small uh, church in this town and somebody had taken the Quran and ripped up the pages of the Quran and thrown it over the gate of the church where our friend was a pastor. Now, this is a very serious crime in Pakistan with very severe consequences. There are laws against it. But most people don't actually face the legal consequences of it. They're very often killed in the streets before they have to go through any kind of judicial process. So our friend who didn't do this, but was in this scenario, had to try and protect his family and he holed it up in his house. And we were told, stay home. Whatever you do, do don't leave your house for anything. And there was this influx of people into the town and it just felt like tensions were really high. And for three days, we waited in our home. And we got the news that a similar situation had happened in a town to the south at the same time and two Christians had been killed as a result of that one. And we waited to see what was gonna happen with our friend, was he gonna die? And we prayed and we worshiped and we waited. And it was a tumultuous, time but we felt the presence of Jesus in that moment let's take a look at John 19 again it says later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled Jesus said I am thirsty what scripture is Jesus talking about, or is, is Jesus saying, is it saying that Jesus fulfilled when he said, I'm thirsty? Well, it comes uh, from Psalm 69. And Psalm 69 is this lament, and the psalmist is crying out to God in a really difficult situation, and he's expressing all of his anguish to God. He's got enemies who hate him and insult him, and he's brokenhearted over it, but he can find nobody who will comfort him. And in verse 20, it says, I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. The word for vinegar here in the Greek Old Testament is the same word that John uses to describe what they brought to Jesus in our passage. John is highlighting that Jesus fulfills Psalm 69. The, the, the Psalm 69 is the words of the Messiah. They're the words, the prayer of Jesus. In fact, several New Testament authors do the same thing. Six times in the New Testament, the words of this psalm are attributed to Jesus. So I want to read for you now a couple of passages from Psalm 69. And I want you to notice the imagery of water. And I want you to imagine Jesus saying these words to the Father. Save me. Oh God, 
for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me, or the depths swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Those are the words of somebody who is experiencing fear. The ancient Israelites, they didn't like water, or at least they didn't like large bodies of water like the sea. The sea was a place of danger and chaos and death. The enemies of the Israelites were compared to the sea, and anytime there were bad situations in the story of the Hebrew Bible, you could bet that there was probably imagery of water and sea in that. And I mean, it was a place to be feared. It was a fearful place. And here we have these words being attributed to Jesus. Then there's the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, with with drops of sweat like blood, praying to the Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And whether you want to call it fear or extreme distress or agony, Jesus is reacting to his circumstances. As we react to our circumstances, and even in this time when we may be feeling fear, feeling like the, the floodwaters are engulfing us, Jesus also identifies with you in that. Now, Jesus meets that fear with complete confidence in God. He says, take this cup, but yet not as I will, but as you will, Father. He trusts the Father so completely that he's willing to hand his life over to him, which is what we would expect Jesus to do. And it's what he wants for us, too, to have confidence in the Father so much so that we could hand our whole lives to him, releasing the other securities that we hold on to. When things started ramping up here with COVID-19 and all the restrictions that were coming into place, my initial prayers around that were, you know, Lord, protect my family, keep them healthy, Watch over them, watch over your church, and provide for your people in this time. Help us to get through this. And those are all, I think, good prayers to pray. I'm still praying them. But my primary prayer at this point has become, Father, form your church into what you want it to be and form my family into who you want us to be and form me into who you want me to be. In all of this, let your will be done. And if I feel fear in that sometimes, it's okay because Jesus has been there. 
He's experienced that. He can identify with my fear and he can teach me, even though I'm pretty slow to learn, to have more confidence in the Father and less confidence in the things around me. And that confidence we have in God is through the hope that we have, a hope that God is going to restore all things, that he's reconciling all things to himself through Jesus. That is our deepest need. That is the real need that we have, and that is the one that Jesus satisfies. Let's look at our passage one more time here in verse 29. It says, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put a sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. John is intentional, uh, intentional about his mention of the hyssop plant. It's not a normal thing that would have been there or that would have been used for that, but John is highlighting it in order to draw our minds back to the story of the Exodus from Egypt. In that story, the Israelites had to take a hyssop uh, branch and dip it in the blood from the Passover lamb, and they had to spread it over their door frames, marking their homes as a home of an Israelite, as one who would be passed over from death. It became one of the most important rituals, the Passover, for the Israelites as they looked back to God how God had redeemed them all from slavery. And John now is highlighting hyssop to show that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the means of rescue. Now, a lot of you watching this, you've been following Jesus for a long time. You know that he's the Passover lamb, that he's the sacrifice of God. But I'm guessing there's some of you watching this here now because you're nervous about what's going on. You're feeling anxious about what's happening in the world. And maybe you haven't looked toward God in a while, but you're, you're looking for him now. Our hope, our confidence, our need is in Jesus. God is good and loving but our relationship with him has been broken because we collectively have turned away from him. But God in his goodness sent Jesus. First, to show us what, truly, what it means to be truly human, to be made in the image of God. But second, to take all of our brokenness upon himself and to bear it on the cross for us, dying for us. God then raised him from the dead, defeating death and giving us hope of that resurrection as well and eternal life with Jesus. And when we identify ourselves with Jesus, when we say, I'm with him, I'm in him, that promise of resurrection and eternal life is ours. That confidence, the, the rock, the one who is stable in the midst of tumultuous times 
is there for us. And if that's resonating with you today, if, you're, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, if you want to know what that's like to be identified with Jesus, if you want to start living that eternal life now, reach out to us. Get a hold of us, uh, call us, email us. Um, you know, get a hold of us on Facebook, through our website. Let us know so that we can start walking with you in that journey of faith. If you're in a place where you're looking for hope, hope is found in Jesus. There's no, there's no denying that we live in tumultuous times right now. A time when it feels like the floodwaters maybe are all around us. But let me share with you the conclusion of Psalm 69. And remember all of the language, the anxious language of the sea throughout that psalm. But at the end, in verse 33, it says, The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Is there anyone who's feeling captive right now? The next verse let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. The seas, the thing that was the picture of anxiousness and turmoil throughout that psalm ends up becoming praise to God. And it's hard to see that when we are in the midst of the seas, in the, tumult, in the tumultuous waters, but that's where faith and trust enter in to help us see a time when Jesus is going to calm the waters. He understands, he knows, he is in this with us. He loves you deeply, each one of you. Please join me in prayer. Our loving Father, you are so good and merciful to us in our Lord Jesus Christ that you have experienced the things, the emotions, the needs that we have is honestly beyond my comprehension. But I trust that you did that because of your goodness and because you love and care for us. Thank you for the redemption that we have in you. Lord, thank you for identifying with us in our need, in our fear. Thank you for giving us joy and hope and filling our hearts with love as well for our neighbor in a time when we need to be caring for one another. God, throughout all of this, would you form us into the people you want us to be? May your will be done. We love you. Amen.